Welcome to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations that fight for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. Dairy Stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. Understanding your milk check. That's what Dairy Stream is focusing in on today, and we certainly are glad to have you with us for this podcast. Our guest today is Mike North. He's a principal of Ever Egg. We're glad to have him on hand as we talk about a milk check, which, you know, it's confusing at times. And don't feel bad because this is kind of an educational podcast in which you are not alone in trying to clarify some of your questions and make it a little clearer that when you look at a milk check, you understand more than just price and production. And really, uh, Mike, our listeners have requested that we contact an expert to better understand some of the basic items of the dairy farmer's milk check. And that's why we've called you to the program. So let's start by going over kind of the overall layout. Can you describe the main areas of focus on a farmer's milk check that they should be looking at? Absolutely. And, and and as you look at a milk check, there's been a lot of consolidation in terms of reporting across the industry over the last several years. There's, there's one particular format that's widely used among most cooperatives and several of the private processors. And that being said, uh, a lot of this is going to be relatively standardized, uh, but you can see some variances in terms of what I'm about to walk through. So, just understand that while your check might look a little bit different in terms of format and layout, a lot of the information uh, will still be the same. So there are going to be some nuances from co-op to co-op in terms of what their premiums are, what they what they reward or what they deduct for. But generally speaking, they're all pretty much the same. And when you look at a milk check, of course, you have the basic identifiers at the top, the name of the co-op, your name, address, patron number. Or, uh, producer numbers or or whatever that's going to be. But then as you dig down into the nitty gritty, one of the first things that you're going to see is what your, your milk receipts are. And uh, for most producers, that's going to be a daily run through all the shipments that arrived at the plant from your operation on any one given day in the days of that particular month in question. So you can run through, see what each day's receipts are, and then get a total uh, rundown of the pounds of milk produced. And then as we as we dig deeper into that, then we're going to start to study what's in the milk. And this is where you're going to be able to look at the components of your milk. Butter fat is going to show you an average of what the butter fat was in all of the milk produced in that month, the total pounds of butter fat produced that month. And then it's going to show the price points that are associated with that. We'll do the same thing for protein and then other solids. And then from there, you're going to see, you know, other premiums and deductions that are added or subtracted to the milk check, things like market adjustments, class one differentials, somatic cell, raw bacteria, you know, other uh, other counts. Um, you'll see then as that's all brought together, a, a summary of all of these different values for butter fat and protein and other solids together with the premiums and deductions. And then that yields your final net pay as you sift your way to the bottom of the milk check. So 
you know, it's going to look again, a little different from check to check. There is a lot of standardization, but those are kind of the, the main pieces, if you will. Well, as Mike, let's take a step back. You did mention, though, there could be some variations from a processor to another processor and how they provide milk check uh, information. So what information are they actually required to provide on that milk check? So the one thing about the, the federal orders is that it does standardize the way producers are paid for their milk. And because of that, there are you know certain elements that have to be there. For starters, total pounds of milk. You have to start there because you're getting paid on a per hundred weight basis. So that is ultimately going to be there no matter what. The other thing that you're going to see as an absolute is, again, the accounting for butterfat protein and other solids. And as we dig deeper into this discussion of, you know, how do you get paid for milk? It's important that that accounting is then uh, provided on the the check itself. You know, things like the producer price differential. It's been a big discussion this uh, past six months, ever since the uh, uh, the whole COVID uh, mess uh, kicked off. Bottom line, that is going to be shown there. And then, uh, of course, you're going to see all of your different bacteria counts. And this is where things can be a little bit different. Some track uh, a whole run of them. Some of them only uh, you know, check a couple of boxes. They might only show you your plate count and your somatic cell. But, you know, there are from company to company, co-op to co-op, some variances in how they're going to show you that. And then, of course, the other things that you're going to notice is, you know, how they charge you for hauling, you know, from from co-op to processor. You know, you're probably not going to see things like capital retention or, you know, promotion fees or, you know, things like this. You know, that's where some of these things can start to look a little different from from co-op to co-op. But, you know, the the big pieces will always be there. You'll always see total milk production. You'll always see your butterfat protein and solids, you know, at least for those areas of the country that are inside the federal order system. Outside of the orders, it can vary a little bit because of how things are valued. But inside the orders, those pieces will be there. Understanding Your Milk Check, that's our podcast today on Dairy Stream. Our guest is Mike North, principal of Ever Ag. And uh, Mike, as you said, for some producers, their focus is going to be on milk production and bottom line price. But there are some other things that they really should understand and take a look at. And two terms that you use quite a bit are premiums and components. Can you give us kind of a labor or working man's definition of both those terms? Sure. We already touched a little bit on the component side of it, but let's, you know, let's take a little bit deeper dive there. So there's obviously the total pounds of milk, but then there's what components make up that milk. And obviously we know a big, a big share of it's water. We don't really get paid so much for that, except for, you know, with volume premiums and so forth. But Inside milk, you have three core uh, solids that are really being studied and measured, and, and that's what you're getting paid for when you break down the, the federal order pricing system. Uh, number one is butter fat, number two is protein, and then you have the other bucket, right, the other solids. And in class three milk, which is ultimately what we see largely uh, represented in Wisconsin and uh, through a, a good share of the Midwest, uh, and, and that, that milk, by the way, is milk that's being used to make cheese. Uh, we can talk more about the class pricing system later, but 
class three milk is standardized with a butter fat of 3.5 and a protein of 2.995. And essentially that's the standardized value. So any butter fat that is above that uh, would bring with it some added value, some added uh, dollars to the milk check. Any protein that's above that 2.995 number would do the same and so forth. Other solids generally are benchmarked at 5.7%. And so how you get paid will largely benchmark against those components. Now, the premium portion of the milk check may in fact provide you added value for those components. And, and a premium is nothing more than added monies that are being put into the milk check for things like high components, quality, you know, somatic cell in the cheese making universe is a very, very big thing uh, in terms of cheese yield. And so we want to see low somatic cell numbers. And oftentimes there will be a, a premium then that's paid for those lower somatic cells. And there's actually factors in place that you can find if, you know, if you dig deep into the federal order system, um, you know, requirements uh, that are paid out uh, for somatic cell. But it, it goes it goes beyond that. Um, there are some companies that pay for certain temperatures of milk. There there are you know obviously other pieces of milk. If you have the A2 component, uh, there are people that are being paid extra for that. Those are premiums, right? On the milk check, though, along with premiums, which are often thought to be positive, are these other things called deductions, right? Mm -hmm. And they go hand in hand with the premium on the milk check. In fact, you could almost call them a negative premium, if that if that makes sense. And you know that's where other things start to step into the conversation. But in terms of distinguishing the two, a component is what's in the milk. A premium is what you get paid additionally for your milk. Well, Mike, one more question on that, because I'm sure with the different presentations you do, you get a lot of questions on components. Can you kind of just clarify once again, you know, how the prices are formulated and decided upon when it comes to a component? So <laughs> federal milk market uh, pricing can get a little bit hairy, but I like to boil it down into what we call the three C's. And okay. the three C's are commodity component and class. And so when you talk about the components and how they're valued, you have to take a step backwards to understand how the USDA arrives at a value for those things. And it starts with certain commodities. And so every week on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central, the USDA issues the NDPSR report, the National Dairy product sales report. The NDPSR gives us a look at what was reported in the prior week by sellers of product around the country in terms of volume and price. So as we bring together all of these different sales of products, we can then from from that aggregate what the what the total amount was that was sold and what the average price was. We specifically focus our attention on cheese, butter, whey, and nonfat dry milk. Inside those products, there are standardized amounts of protein, fat, and other solids. And so through a series of formulas, they take the 
value of a product and they distill it down to find the value of protein, butter fat, and other solids. And then there's other pieces that go with it, like non-fat solids and so forth. But they find a value in the, in the products themselves for protein, butter fat, and other solids. And then that becomes, Mike, a building block to then pay a class one, two, three, and four price. And for those unfamiliar with those classes, class one milk is fluid milk. Class two milk is often what we refer to as as the sauce. It's it's things like ice cream and and yogurt and cottage cheese and sour cream and you know some of these things that don't really fit in uh, the other buckets. Class three is going to be natural cheese and whey, and then class four is going to be butter and powder. And so those are the four classes. And so as as you walk through the, the, the federal milk marketing order pricing system, you start with a product, you find a value for components, and then use those values to pay out a class price. And if you look at a milk check, really that's the path that we take to arrive at that class three pay price. We find a value based on the standardized values of, of fat and protein in class three milk, and then we pay in accordance with the value of protein and butter fat, and then there's additional premiums, and then of course we add in our, our PPD. Pretty thorough explanation uh, specifically on that question. So. Oh, thank you for that. We are speaking with Mike North, principal of Ever Ag. We're going to be taking a break in just a couple of moments here on Dairy Stream. But before we do that, I remember back, Mike, when my uh, hair was still brown, not platinum. And at that time, pe- people were really kind of excited about, you know, they talk about premiums. That was one of the advantages of uh, being a dairy producer in Wisconsin was the premiums you were getting from your plants. Now, though, some processors seem to be moving away from that. Well, why is that happening? Well, we've had a lot of different shifts in our in our uh, Wisconsin market over recent years. And if you go back about five years, what we saw was some major expansion inside of our uh, production and processing facilities around the state. It really, you know, uh, grew out ahead of where milk production was. And so, you know, we had this we had this big premium because they demanded more milk. And at about that same time, we saw some of these neighboring states, and I'll, and I'll point towards Michigan specifically, but neighboring states that were producing and growing their production at a much faster pace than we were. And so a lot of this milk needed a home. A lot of Michigan milk found its way to Wisconsin. Processors were short on milk inside of our state, but they were seeing a lot of this milk, you know, finding its way into Wisconsin. There were trucks arriving uh, daily from from the state of Michigan with excess milk they had no home for. So that, you know, pressured some of our, our premiums. Then we walked into COVID here more recently, and now we started creating demand issues and all sorts of ripples in the supply chain that pushed back to the farm. And suddenly we found ourselves with excess milk, which diminished premiums. Now, as we look forward, there's actually some hope that we could start to see that moving back in the other direction. And part of that is we've just fired up a big cheese plant in St. John's, Michigan, that will be the largest in the country. And they're going to 
you know, really suck up a lot of, of that uh, available supply, not just in Michigan, but through different parts of the Midwest and really put more of a draw on the available milk in our pipeline, which again, may bring uh, processors back to paying more premiums. So premiums, you know, in Wisconsin have often been higher than in other parts of the country because we've maintained more of a, a, a deficit milk type of an environment. Wisconsin, for being the dairy state, has ultimately been a net milk importer for a very long time up until, you know, very recently. And now that we're seeing this new demand in Michigan, we believe that that will start to bring some of those former characteristics back to the marketplace as we compete for more and more milk inside of our state. But, you know, recognize, too, that, you know, we stand as a bit of an island, so to speak, with regard to premiums. A lot of other parts of the country are paying class or underclass for milk. So, you know, that's also part of it, too, as as processors are forced to compete with these other dairy sheds around the country. It's very difficult for them to compete on price on product and still pay an, ex, you know, a, a, an extra premium in the state of Wisconsin. And that's not really what we want to hear. But in a competitive environment, that's uh, that's 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 a reality that we also face. Understanding your milk check, that is our focus today on this version of Dairy Stream. Our guest is Mike North, principal of Ever Ag. And Mike, uh, kind of quick response before we take our break, and that is just getting back to kind of a summation of understanding your milk check. From your perspective, uh, just in review now, what are the main items on that milk check that if you know you were a dairy producer, you'd be monitoring? Well, I would say that the message here is focus on what you can control. You know, in a milk check, there's obviously lots of different moving pieces, but you don't control what that federal milk order price is. But you can control what your milk production is, what your milk solids are, and then, you know, what your qualities are, your somatic cell and some of those other, you know, bacteria counts. Ultimately, uh, those are the things that, you know, from a management perspective that you can really hone in on and say, okay, how am I doing here? And, you know, how, how, does, how does this compare to last month and last year? And, you know, what changes do we need to make? And then I would say be also forward-looking with that. What is the market telling me the value of milk is going to be in the future based on butterfat and protein and other solids? Where is the value there? And as a manager, what adjustments can I make in my ration or how I feed my herd to get towards where the optimal value in the market is. And then that, of course, forces the conversation of how do I manage price risk in the market? But, you know, that, 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 that's, you know, kind of the next chapter of this, of this discussion, if you will. But these are the things that ultimately a producer should be looking at. You know, what can I control on my farm and where can I steer my, my operation towards value in the market? That's really what we stress. And that is Mike North, principal of Ever Ag, yet to come, as Mike alluded to. We're going to talk a little bit about how can three letters, PPD, cause so many headaches. We'll get into those details as we continue here on Dairy Stream. And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. Agar King believes capturing the nutritional value in feeds is the key to profit. 
For over 50 years, Agar King has been committed to advancing the dairy industry by providing farms with the highest quality nutritional products for better herd health and greater feed efficiency. Agar King offers services for all areas of your farm, ranging from our industry-leading Silo King forage and grain treatment to our innovative direct-fed microbial technology to manure digestants. By providing services like full nutrition programs, precision feed analysis, individualized rations, and personalized on-farm service, Agar King's mission has always been to put farms first to help producers achieve their goals. To learn more how Agar King can help your farm, visit agarking.com. Understanding your milk check. That's today's focus on Dairy Stream. Dairy Stream is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. Our guest today is Mike North, principal of Ever Ag. If you want to get in touch with them, it's just Ever dot ag and you can get all the details and information on well many things we're talking on the dairy front including today uh, understanding your milk check and mike we talked earlier about what you know what you're getting out of your milk check but there's also money that is taken out of your milk check can you explain some of those and the purpose behind that absolutely and, and so as you look at it, um, there, there's there's a few obvious ones that you're going to see right away. A conversation that's often had between producers and processors or co-ops is, you know, what are you going to charge me for hauling? You know, hauling's, you know, if you go back uh, a number of years, been a big discussion about, you know, how do I get charged? How much are you charging me versus my neighbor? You know, there's, there's all sorts of different uh, conversations around that particular piece, but hauling is going to be, uh, an adjustment is going to be likely a deduct. In some cases, um, you know, as you look at a milk check, you might even find that there's a credit. So, you know, it, it does vary from from uh, plant to plant, co-op to co-op, uh, but hauling is going to be one of those deductions often on a milk check. You know, we talked about, you know, quality, you know, as, as you look at you know the quality of milk. You know that can be that can become a deduct or it can also be a premium. Uh, I think the bigger one over the course of this last seven months, uh, going back into uh, April when you know the coronavirus shutdown hit our state and the supply chain got rocked and uh, food service demand and school demand and retail demand all got shaken as hard as it did. You know, when we go back to the, to that particular period and the government stepping in with the food box program, the one thing that we've seen really since that food box program uh, came alive is this rise in class three valuation relative to other classes of milk. And so, you know, where I'm going with all of this is PPD, of course. And PPD, if you look at many milk checks over the course of the last several years, PPD has been a positive number for most producers in the state of Wisconsin. So when you look at the history of this, the idea of a negative PPD ultimately is you know, not really a, uh, uh, an old concept, but a new one. And when we talk about that particular deduction, it, it gets, it gets really, really interesting because when you talk about a PPD, you're essentially measuring, um, it, it, well, before we go there, let's take a step back. The 2018 farm bill created a new pricing mechanism for class one milk and the right. way it works 
is we take the value of class three milk and the value of class four milk, we average the two together, and then we add 74 cents a hundred weight. And then, of course, you have some zoning differentials and other things that play into that. But bottom line is that's how you arrive at a class one price. Now, when we talk about that particular mechanism, when it was first delivered to the market, we were pretty ecstatic about it because what it allowed class one processors to do is to finally be able to hedge their milk. And if you go back, there's been lots of conversations about, you know, why are people not drinking milk? Why are we still selling the same, you know, white milk in a plastic jug the way we have for 40 years? I mean, lots of criticism around class one distribution, product, you know, research and development, the whole kit and caboodle. What we loved about the new pricing mechanism is it created a platform for processors to be able to hedge their risk. And risk is real to everybody. Whether you're on the farm or you're in the processing community, you face price risk. And so having a predictable model to be able to hedge that risk was meaningful to processors because now they actually could start building out a means to not only manage risk, but to now come back into the space and invest in it. And that was pretty exciting for us. And uh, as we as we talk about that class one pricing, it's done in an advanced process. So the class one price is announced 45 days in advance of the class three and class four prices, which come out at the end of a month. The class three and class four, as we talked about previously, are a byproduct of what comes out of those commodities, cheese, butter, whey, and nonfat dry milk, and how that distills itself back into a value for butterfat protein and other solids, and then finds its way into a class price. Class three is your price leader in terms of how things are calculated, and then everything kind of works its way around class three. As we come out with an advanced pricing number for class one, and then later come out with a class three and class four, what happens is you have this different timeline, and then you have, you know, by way of class one being an average of class three and class four, you have this, this gap that needs to be filled between class three and class four. In 2020, because food boxes were introduced to help uh, feed a growing unemployed population and to at the same time support American dairy and other farmers, with the cheese that went into these food boxes, we created this massive uh, imbalanced demand for cheese that drove the class three price up. Class three prices stand at a very significant premium over class four prices. So when you take the average of those two, and if you were to look today at what the difference is between the November class three price, it's 2390, and the November class four price, it's 1360 roughly, that's a $10 and 30 cent difference. Well, if my class one is the average of those two plus 74, then I know that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be $5 under class three. Well, in the federal order system and, and, and like it or hate it, this is the way it works in the, in the federal order system, class one is designed to always be the highest premium in the market. And so often as a byproduct of a 
let's call it normal market. And it's been so long since we've seen one, I've almost forgot what it looks like. But in a normal market, the class one will naturally carry that added value. And part of that is because the class three and the class four are often so close together that by the time you add the 74 cents, it carries a premium. In a normal environment, then, the class one processor is forced to pay in to this pool, which is what ultimately creates this normal positive PPD. But now that we have such big spreads between class three and class four, we ultimately undervalue class one relative to class three. And as a byproduct of that, in order to, let's call it, even out the system, there's deductions then on class three milk in the form of a negative PPD. And what made matters worse this spring was because of the timing of class one coming out 45 days in advance. And we saw this, especially as we entered summer, when we had lower markets in the spring, the advance pricing for class one was still lingering and being you know, calculated off of low prices. And then the class three and the class, well, specifically the class three ran and then was announced 45 days later. And we all know what happened in those 45 days. The market ran significantly higher. Well, we've had Foodbox, Foodbox 2.0, Foodbox 3.0, and now recently Foodbox 4.0. And so whenever w- these new announcements come out that another round is, is entering the market, the class three market has taken off. And even if you go back and talk about November milk of, of late, what you're going to notice is that we were back in September uh, prior to the kind of the third round, kind of lingering around this $18 threshold when the when the uh, announcement came out that there was going to be another round, it ran towards $20, $21. It set back a little bit. And then with the most recent announcement, now it surged to $23, almost $24. So as that price moves out into higher thresholds, after a class one price is announced, it just broadens that gap and makes the PPD more exaggerated. So again, as we normalize the market, we look for some adjustments back towards a more normal environment, but know that because of how pricing works in this environment, we're going to continue to carry this relatively exaggerated negative PPD. Now, there is some comfort in this. Because we are such big class three utilizers of milk in the upper Midwest, specifically Wisconsin, those deductions come off of a heavily weighted class three price. If we wanted to you know, play the comparison game, while we are experiencing you know, a dollar, two, three, four dollar PPDs in the state of Wisconsin, we have other clients in other parts of the country that because they have bigger utilizations in class four or otherwise, some of their PPDs are eight, nine, ten dollars. So Wisconsin, despite the fact that we've had a negative PPD, because we have enjoyed a higher class three price, we've ultimately, let's just say, fared better than most. And not that that's an exciting scenario, but at the same time, PPDs have been much more negative in other parts of the country. That's the voice of Mike North. He's the principal of EverAg with a pretty thorough response to negative PPDs and why we have them and how they came about. But I would be a little bit remiss, Mike, if I didn't close the door on this subject without asking a question that farmers certainly are asking, and that is, where does the money actually go, though, if they're not getting it? So, 
this gets to be relatively complex because it involves more than just the calculation. It, it enters into another discussion about pooling or depooling of milk or what I've been uh, told to more correctly refer to as the unpooling of milk. Basically, every month it's uh, at the co-op level, uh, an assessment is made as to whether uh, to participate in the pool or not. And that's where you know things can get a little bit murky in terms of understanding uh, this money flow. But remember that if you're a class one processor, you're forced to pay, to pay into the system. If you're a class three utilizer, you ultimately are more of a recipient than not of those dollars. Because the class one market is at such a discount, those, those monies aren't being put into the system by the class one processors. So then it becomes a question of across the system, where would that money come from? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of a net balance, if you will. If, if nobody's putting money in, then at the same time, nobody can take money out. So when we talk about a normal balance system, there's money flowing in. When we talk about negative PPDs now, it's more the absence of money being put in rather than the money ultimately being quote unquote deducted. And I know there's going to be a lot of people that scratch their head at that, but right. the reality is, is that the, the, the market generally carries a balance across it. And the moment you stop the flow of dollars in from the class one side of things, there's no way to have a flow of dollars out on the class three or class four side of things. So essentially, when you see the negative numbers for you know classes three and four or otherwise, what you're really seeing is a lack of money that would have otherwise been put in by somebody else. And so that deduction is showing up on the check, not that there's essentially this big bank of cash that's being put away. But again, as we talk about this conversation, now it becomes a question of what amount of milk was pooled at the co-op level and what was unpooled? What did they choose not to put in the pool? And there's some pretty you know, strict guidance as you look at the process of unpooling milk as to how you would come back into that pool later. So you can only have in the next month, 125% of what you had uh, in the current month pooled in the system. And so it, it becomes a little bit tougher to game. If you were to completely unpool, you can't just jump all back in the next month and game that system that way. It takes a while to work your way back into it. And so what a lot of processors did is they chose not to get rid of all their milk, but only a portion of the milk. And it's a much more complex conversation than we'll have time for in this particular podcast. But at the same time, know that that particular process, you know, at the, at the processor and co-op level is being evaluated every month. So as to figure out what's going to best benefit the co-op and its members. And, you know, if you look at a lot of checks over the course of this last month or the last six months, for that matter, what you often would find is that in a negative PPD environment, even though you saw that net subtraction, what you would later find is those dollars would show up in the premiums on the milk check, often balancing out some of that PPD or all of the PPD. So I think there was a lot, a lot of people that while they saw this negative PPD and the deduction that came that way, they're, they're, they're looking back at their milk check going, my goodness, 
we we had much better premiums this month than we did previously. How did that happen? Well, it happened as a byproduct of some of the work that was being done at the co-op level. So, you know, it becomes, like I say, a very complex situation as to how that's managed. But just know that in a normal environment, money's being put in at the class one level and then enjoyed at other uh, parts of the federal order pricing system uh, among these other classes. And when that money's not being put in, it's just simply not there, which is what creates some of that negative. The pooling then adds a different layer to that conversation. And then that gets managed often from co-op to co-op as to how those dollars are appropriated on a milk check. So it's a very, you know, I I think uh, there's an old saying that uh, says there's five people that understand completely how milk is priced in, in the United States. Four of them are dead. And I don't know the other guy. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's there's, there's, uh, you know, I, I say that tongue in cheek, but all of these moving parts become very, very complex because it's not a simple one layer conversation or one layer answer to any one question because it changes across the different classes, the different geographies, because there's more than one federal uh, milk marketing order. And so as you look from from order to order across the country and class to class and co-op to co-op, you know, there's so many different uh, layers to this conversation. It gets pretty complex pretty fast. Yeah, I think that's a key factor. There are a lot of layers and understanding your milk check and milk pricing and some of the things that are occurring on the milk check. And we certainly thank Mike North, uh, principal of Ever Ag, for trying to clarify quite a few things and taking a little bit of mud off a picture that has a few of you, I'm sure, just still kind of shaking your heads. But we hope we're giving you the basis and the foundation for a better understanding the whole process. And Mike, you are a specialist when it comes to market risk. And I want to kind of close off our dairy stream today looking at those areas. So kind of quickly, what tools outside of the farm programs are available to a dairy producer to help mitigate some market risk? Sure. So when we say farm programs, I'll, in that bucket, I'll just kind of throw uh, DMC, which is the old MPP program, and ultimately allows you to buy coverage on a certain margin of milk price overfeed. That's what we'll call the farm program. Uh, we do gener- we recommend people uh, use that at the highest level on the first 5 million pounds. But as you leave that, there's really three buckets and two have been with us for a long time. One is relatively new. The uh, two oldest buckets have been forward contracting and that's something you can do with your plant uh, or your co-op. And that's where you would price your milk for a period forward in time that you would later deliver against, later produce. In this particular market, we haven't been the biggest advocates of that. And the reason for that has been a lot of the unpredictable nature of this market. Um, Just when you think you're starting to see things moving back towards normal, another round of food box or something else steps into the market, prices go up. And if you would have sold your milk at what you thought was a great price of 18, 19, $20, and then watched it go to 23, you're kicking yourself because you quote unquote sold it too soon. And, you know, a lot of people will carry that baggage around for a long time and, you know, basically uh, forbid themselves to ever use that tool again. It's really not a matter of the tool. It's often a question of the timing as to the results of that. And so there's a time and place for it. We're not big advocates of that right now. The other bucket is 
uh, futures and options. And, you know, the futures and options kind of go with that Ford contract because a futures contract is very similar to a Ford contract, except you do it in your own brokerage account rather than with your milk buyer. Uh, And that would be where you'd set a price. We spend a lot of time, though, with folks using options. And the reason we like them is because they are a great way to manage price risk without making such bold and firm commitments to price. It becomes, in many respects, like buying insurance on price. And when I say that, I'm specifically talking about a put option where you'd pay a premium to have coverage at a certain level in a certain calendar month and for that, you pay a you, you you pay that premium, and essentially have a floor under your milk price. The top side of of that milk market then is left open enough to change in your favor. If the market goes up, you're not penalized. You still get to enjoy that. The put option becomes the floor. You pay a premium. You have your coverage for a certain period of time, and and you're pretty much done. Now there's more complex strategies, but that's the vanilla approach right there. There is one more thing, and it is what we refer to now as DRP. It is the Dairy Revenue Protection Insurance that's available through licensed crop insurance agents. Uh, I, I use that that term lightly uh, because crop insurance is kind of the, the bucket that the risk management agency, which is a part of the USDA, uh, lumps DRP into. And so if you're a licensed agent to sell these RMA approved products, uh, you can sell DRP. Our company is is one of those and certainly um, one of the biggest players in that space. Bottom line is it acts very much like a put option. The beauty in this particular case is that just shy of half of the total overall premium is subsidized by the government. So you can buy this quote unquote subsidized put to manage price like a put option and you do it for a calendar quarter versus an individual month in that calendar. And so as you buy that coverage, you are again putting a floor under your milk. You can do that up to five quarters out into the future. So right now we can buy coverage for the for the uh, uh, first quarter of 2021 and ultimately all the way through that year into uh, the first quarter of 2022. So that's what's available right now. And in any of these cases, whether we're talking options or we're talking about DRP, what those tools allow you to do is to manage risk, create some predictability, and let's face it, in this particular market, in this particular time, there really isn't a whole lot of certainty. So to be able to create some of that goes a long way towards managing your margins and uh, you know, giving you a forward look at your financials with some degree of certainty. So we're, we're big advocates of that. And uh, you know, really at this time with the kind of opportunities forward, we're really impressing upon our, our clients to be active in that space and managing risk as it, as it sits now. Well, we certainly appreciate all your insights and expertise. That's Mike North, principal of Ever Ag. And again, if you want to get more details and want to go to their website, it's ever.ag. He's been explaining today a better understanding of your milk check and just how prices and markets uh, really do work. We appreciate all that. And Mike, as we wrap up this dairy stream, I know you talked about this before our first break, but let's just go back again from your perspective on what a farmer 
can control and can't control on their milk check. Because as you said, if you're going to focus on the milk check, focus on what you can control. Well, I, I'll say this. I've, I've always been a free market guy. Uh, I love uh, a market where we can participate and take some things into our own hands. And as we study a milk check, we get to see some of those core basics that we spend our day really putting together, right? Those being production and those components that we talk about. We spend a lot of time taking care of animals and feeding animals towards that end. And as we talk about those pieces, they can't be ignored because they're fundamental to a successful dairy operation. But I think as we take a step further and a step forward, we can say, not only what am I doing with regard to my production, but understanding how my production is valued. If I look forward in the market and we get that look every day, we have a futures market that gives us a look two years into the future at what a world of buyers and sellers have come together to kind of determine a value for. We get a look forward for two years at what the value of that milk could be. And as we study that, there are certain takeaways in that. And, and my point in this is we can, we can look and say, what is going to be of greater value? Protein, butter fat, you know, our, our solids uh, starting to show us a little extra, you know, bonus in the milk check. But I can study the market and say, okay, where do I need to steer my operation to maximize that value? And that really, you know, is where we transition management away from, at least mentally, away from the production side and now towards the financial side. And as we talk about this, we have all these tools at our disposal to manage it. We have Ford contracts, we have futures and options, we have DRP among the, you know, other things, but that's where we can really start to dive in deep. And this is where we spend our time educating producers and assisting them in managing risk because these opportunities are there for everybody. And, you know, I, I hear it all the time. Oh, I'm too small. That excuse doesn't exist anymore. We have enough tools in this market. There's no such thing as too small. There's no such thing as too big. The reality is, is we all get the same look at the market. We all have access to the same tools. The price points are available to everyone at the same price. It's a matter of coming to the market and actually addressing it. And this is this is what I would challenge producers with: is to to look forward at the value, take that production that you you, you give your 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 blood, sweat, and tears to making, and now start to harness the value and, and do some things to manage the value and manage the risk. Because that's really as we look forward into the industry, one of the things that I see as a as a, as a separator for those that want to be in long term and those that that don't, you know, it's, 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 it's changed. And I know there's a lot of people that don't like that, that, that change is uncomfortable, but it, it's really the direction that, that, that our industry has gone. And, you know, as, as we look forward, there are opportunities for those that want to embrace it. And we are as a company here to help people understand the tools, understand how they work and to, you know, really help people harness it and, and use it in their own operations. A big thank you goes out to Mike North, principal of Ever Ag. Certainly we asked him to give us a 
better understanding of your milk check. And I think he's done an outstanding job of that. He's kind of served us up a smorgasbord with plenty to have on our plates now. And hopefully you find several of these aspects pretty tasteful to your liking. Some may be more difficult to digest, but a link, I think we built the foundation now to help you better understand not only the milk check, but milk pricing and risk management, how they all work together to improve your bottom line. I do want to thank Joanna Guza. Uh, for producing this version of Dairy Stream. And as always, we thank you for spending time with us. We will continue in our conversations on the dairy front to try to make your bottom line just a little bit brighter. I'm Mike Austin for Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us, podcast at dairyforward.com.